Well, good morning, church family. Uh, it's always a wonderful privilege and joy for us to be able to come out here and uh, spend a Sunday morning with you guys. Um, he's not in the stroller right now, but since the last time I was here, we've had a new addition to the family. Uh, his name is Elisha Haddon Stevens. Um, so we're very excited that the whole family was able to come out this time and uh, spend the morning with you. Uh, and in um, such difficult and uncertain times, um, and let's just be reminded, they're uncertain to us, they're not uncertain to God, amen? Um, in, in such times as these, how wonderful is it to be uh, refreshed and reminded that our, our hope, our foundation is in the gospel, right? There is such a temptation to become distracted, um, to become focused on what's going on in the world, uh, all of the, the chaotic things that we see on the news every day. And yet, the Lord wants our hearts to be anchored uh, in the gospel, in the truth that God saves wicked sinners like us. Um, if you would turn in uh, your copy of God's words to Ephesians uh, 1, we'll be in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 this morning. And let me just read that text for us before we go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come uh, to your word, we pray that it would be preached accurately uh, through me, that we would have uh, open eyes and hearts to receive the truth of your word, uh, that this morning all of our hearts would be uh, refreshed and reminded of your glorious grace in the gospel. Uh, may we find strength and security and encouragement in uh, these words this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let me, let me ask you at the outset of the sermon, uh, is salvation something that is awe-inspiring to you? Uh, if it is not, if you feel cold and indifferent uh, when you hear what God has done to save sinners, uh, I pray that this morning your heart and my heart would be confronted by this truth. I pray that, that we all would be shaken awake to the reality of how amazing this redemption is. Uh, the goal of this sermon, the goal of these six 
points is that we would walk away with a compulsive desire to bless God, to honor God, uh, to worship God because of what he has done to save us. Uh, these, these are not meant to be dry facts that we just memorize. Uh, these are meant to have a direct line to your heart so that when you see what God uh, has done to save us, when you see in his word uh, what he has done to save us, your natural reaction, like Paul, would be to say, blessed be God. Uh, the reason that this is our goal, that, that is Paul's reaction here. right? We want to follow Paul's example in this passage where as he looks at what salvation is, how God has saved us, uh, it, it erupts from his heart as a prayer of exaltation to God. Right? These are not just dry facts for Paul. He sees this and he doesn't just list out, this is what salvation is. All of this is couched within this prayer to God, praising him for what he has done. And so we want our hearts to respond the same way, that as we work through this, we would have a growing desire to praise God, a need to praise God. As I said, a compulsive need, a reaction. Like when a doctor hits your knee and your leg goes up, it's not because you chose to, it was how the body responded. And that's how we want our hearts to respond to this truth. Okay, so six reasons to praise God for our salvation. The first reason is that we have been chosen. Paul says that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. And so if you're in Christ this morning, it is because God chose you. And when did he choose you? Before the foundations of the world. It was not when you were born. It was not when, you, when he made the world. It was before the world existed. Uh, friends, before time existed. Okay, the theological term for this is in eternity past. Um, often my children will use the phrase, it has been forever since fill in the blank. And often it's been anywhere between a day and an hour since that had happened. Uh, what is amazing about this truth is it truly has been forever since God chose you. Before time even existed. In eternity something that our minds cannot even grasp, that is when God set his love upon you if you are in Christ. Uh, I think in our human nature, it's difficult uh, to feel as though we did not contribute something, right? We like to feel important, like something can't have happened unless we added to it or had a choice in it. Uh, do we come to God and try and make a deal with him? Uh, often we'll say, God I not say this with our words, but in our hearts, we say, God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. Or maybe you have some semblance of false humility, the thing that's wrong to ask for something unless you pay for it in return or have some sort of exchange with God. Uh, I was reminded uh, recently just studying for this and through a, a convergence of circumstances in our life, uh, how much we stand before God empty-handed. Right? We stand before God with nothing to offer. This is not some exchange where we barter with God and we give him something of value and he gives us Christ in return. We stand before God completely bare of anything to offer and that is what grace is. Friends, uh, let me ask you, have you come to the point where you truly understand this? Have you come to the point where you know that before, you, before God you stand with nothing to offer, with nothing of value, and yet his love is set upon you not because you have something, uh, but despite the fact that you have nothing. 
Uh, this is so crucial to our understanding of the gospel. So if we are in Christ, it is not because of us. It is because God chose us, not because of works or because of anything that we have done, uh, but because of his merciful character. And look at what it says. He chose us for what? He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that means that if you are in Christ, God set you apart and made you sinless in his sight before the foundation of the world. Uh, you know what else God has known since eternity past? Every sin that you would ever commit, uh, not just the sins on the outside that people see, God has known from eternity every sinful thought, every selfish motive, all of the ugly things that go on in our hearts all of the time. God has known all of this and yet set his love upon us. Uh, our, our hearts are so much grosser than we often would be willing to admit. And God knows all of that even more than we do, and yet his love remains steadfast. He chose to set his love upon us and make us his own. Aside from humbling us, uh, because we offered nothing to God in exchange for it, uh, is it not also comforting to know that he has chosen us, knowing what kind of monsters we would be, knowing how awful we would be, how awful we are, God still chose us. Does not, that not bring comfort to our hearts? Uh, this brings us to our second reason for salvation. We have been adopted. So the first reason is that we have been chosen. The second reason is that we have been adopted. This means that when God chose us, he did not just choose us and give us a get-out-of-jail-free card and send us on our way. He made us a son or a daughter. The judge came into the spiritual dungeon to the darkest corner. He came to death row where each of us were sitting waiting for punishment. And rather than condemn us, he told us he was taking away our penalty at infinite cost to himself and that from now on we would no longer be his enemies, but that we would be part of his family. He did not just set us free and say, get out of here, I don't ever want to see you again. He did not even simply befriend us. He said, come, beloved child, you are now mine. Now look at the last two words of verse four. It says, in love. Okay, now, now in the Greek, uh, because Paul didn't know how to use punctuation. Verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence. That's how excited Paul was here. And so in love could go uh, with the end of verse 4 or the beginning of verse 5. Uh, but I, I think the best way to understand this is that it says, in love he predestined us for adoption. Okay, so this was not just some cold business transaction where God somehow thought he would get the best investment for this, uh, but he was emotionally detached from it. In love, God adopted us as sons and daughters. And how did God decide to predestine us? What standard of measurement did he use? It says that uh, the foundation of the world, uh, or excuse me, the foundation of his plan was in accordance 
with his own will. This means that God did not get a second opinion. He didn't have to go and ask anyone else's advice or receive some external validation for his choice. Uh, All of this was done in accordance with his own will. God needed nothing to know that this was a good idea in his infinite wisdom. And the purpose of all of this, the purpose of saving us, is to the praise of his glorious grace. God did this so that he would receive glory. Uh, God is in the business of glorifying himself. That is the greatest level of good that can exist in the universe, is for God to receive glory. If you and I seek to glorify ourselves, it's wrong, right? It's wrong because we are not God. It is wrong for God not to glorify himself. So we have the infinite privilege of being part of God's amazing redemptive plan in bringing himself glory through saving wretched sinners. Right? God takes these wicked sinners and he brings them into his family. He makes them blameless so that he will receive glory and we have the infinite privilege of being part of that transaction. Uh, sometimes you will hear people ref- refer to themselves as a masterpiece uh, and typically uh, they mean the opposite of what I mean when I say we get to be masterpieces of God's glory. Right? God takes these wicked sinners, he turns them into a masterpiece of his grace as he makes them go from those who reject all that is good to those who love him and love his ways and hate sin. We get to be masterpieces that show off how gracious God is that he would take us and not only redeem us, but make us love him and love what is right. If you want to look around and find people to be impressed with you, you're still missing the point. We don't want people to see us when they look at us. We want them to see Christ. We want them to see our good works that we do and know that those could never have come from us. We want people to see our patience at work, our tenacity in our home and shepherding our children, the way that we do all things to God's glory and not look at us and say, wow, what an amazing person. We want them to look at us and say, what an amazing God that he would make somebody like that. That is how we point people to Christ when they see that the things we do are not just impossible for them, that they are impossible for people apart from the grace of God. And look at how it describes his grace. It says it is glorious. Friends, is that how you think of God's grace? Is that how your heart responds to God's grace this morning? Is it glorious to you? Uh, If we understand the magnitude of what it means to be adopted into God's family, it will be glorious to us. Okay, so the first reason to praise God for our salvation is that we have been chosen. The second reason is that we have been adopted. The third reason to praise God for our salvation is that we have been redeemed. And look how it is that we have been redeemed. It says, through the blood of Christ. Your works will never be enough. You will never attain to a degree of morality high enough to earn your own redemption. So here we see the magnificent price of sin. 
sin does not just bring temp- uh, temporal consequences to your life. Sin brings spiritual death. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system where animals were brought to the altar and slaughtered on behalf of sinners, exchanging the life of the animal for the penalty of sin for the person. Uh, the priest would work constantly, continually slaughtering animals as a constant reminder to Israel the magnitude of sin, the price of of sin, constantly the smell of burning animals going up as a reminder that God takes sin seriously. And the sacrificial system was a picture of this animal's life being offered up in exchange for those who deserved punishment. But as the book of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy, right? They would have to bring them back over and over and over So this entire sacrificial system pointed forward to the true Redeemer that God had planned to send since before time, sending him in our place. Unlike the blood of bulls and goats, his blood provides complete and full satisfaction for the penalty of our sin. Uh, There is an old hymn called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted about Christ's sacrifice for us. One verse goes like this. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. See what price had to be provided in order to purchase our redemption. This shows us how serious sin is to God, that it costs the life of the second person of the Trinity in place of us to take the penalty of our sin. Uh, But we also see here not just the seriousness of sin, but how much God loves us, that he sent his own precious son that he provided this spotless lamb for us. And this is what our redemption is, salvation from the penalty of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, There is a lot of people today who want to redefine exactly what redemption is. Uh, They want to make redemption about uh, redemption from some socioeconomic system or liberation from physical oppression or freedom from low self-esteem. Paul tells us right here that when the Bible talks about redemption, this is what it means. The forgiveness of our sins before a holy God. That is what the gospel is about. Paul is very careful to define his terms. Redemption is about nothing less than our sin being dealt with before a holy God. There is no greater issue facing humanity today than whether or not your sins have been forgiven. Nothing else matters. If your sins still stand between you and God, nothing else has any value. This is why Matthew 16 says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Beloved, no amount of pleasure or fun or power 
or prestige in this life will be enough to compensate for an eternity spent in hell. There is nothing that matters as much as whether your sins have been dealt with before God. Do not let anyone ever tell you that the gospel is about something other than reconciling sinful humanity to God. And Paul says that our redemption is in accordance with the riches of his grace. Oh, if we try to buy something that costs more than the money we have, what happens? Our card gets declined, right? When I was in high school and hadn't quite figured out how debit cards worked, I typically had about two decline transactions a week. Uh, our, our redemption is in accordance with the infinite riches of God's grace. This means there will never be a sinner who God desires to purchase and the bank of God's grace says, no, that one's too expensive. That one's a little too far gone. I can't afford to purchase that sinner. God's grace is infinite. The riches of his grace do not run out. God redeemed us in accordance with how much grace is available to him. That means it's impossible for someone to be too sinful to be saved. So if you are sitting here this morning and you feel as though everyone else has, a, has grace available to them, but there is not enough for you, be encouraged. God, there is enough grace in God for any wicked sinner who repents and puts faith in Christ. Any sinner who comes to Christ is welcomed into God's loving arms. And Paul says that this grace was lavished upon us. Uh, th this is one of my favorite Greek words. Uh, we, we, we have to use a bunch of English words to even express it. It's just extravagant, over the top, excessive. So this incredibly rich grace was poured all over those who are in Christ. There is no single part of someone who is in Christ that is not completely covered by God's grace. There is nothing lacking in Christ where in him you somehow find yourself outside of his grace because you've just messed up too many times. There is a direct supply line straight from God to you through Christ of his grace and it will never run out or run dry. MacArthur says, because God accepts every believer as he accepts his own son, every believer ought to accept himself in the same way. We do not accept ourselves for what we are in ourselves any more than God accepts us for that reason. We accept ourselves as forgiven and righteous because this is what God himself declares us to be. To think otherwise is not a sign of humility but of arrogance because to think otherwise is to put our own judgment above God's word and to belittle the redemption price paid for us by his own beloved son. And this grace which he has poured upon us, he has given us the wisdom and insight necessary uh, this grace has given us the spiritual wisdom and insight necessary to discern his truth. Okay, and this brings us to our fourth reason to praise God for our salvation. 
we have been given revelation. So we have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, and we have been given revelation. Paul says that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So this was all part of his plan, and that plan was set into motion in the coming of Christ. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, 1-3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So the mystery of the Old Testament was in what way God would accomplish his promised salvation. Now, we have the answer to that mystery in the person of Jesus Christ. He came and took on flesh and in so doing revealed God's redemptive plan to us in the clearest way it had ever been communicated. So we get to see God more fully than at any other time in redemptive history because we actually get to see the Messiah that everyone else looked forward to. Uh, What we get to see what was a mystery to others who simply knew that someday the Messiah would come. And this is an incredible privilege that we often take for granted. God superintended in his divine will that we would be born now, in the age of the new covenant, and have the glorious privilege of seeing his redemptive plan fully unmasked in the person of Jesus Christ. What an incredible joy to be grateful for. And Paul says that this redemptive plan, all of this happened so that, these, so that all things could be united together in Christ. So we should praise God because we get to see his redemptive plan fully revealed in the person of Jesus. Our fifth reason this morning to praise God for our salvation is that we have been made heirs. Okay, so Paul goes on to say that we have obtained an inheritance uh, and for a, a lot of us, in, inheritance isn't necessarily something that, that takes a, a preeminent place in our culture. It's, it's not talked about often. Um, in the ancient world, uh, inheritance was a very big deal. The firstborn son was the one in line to receive a double portion of the inheritance and uh, become viewed as the one who carried on the family name. Uh, think of the story of Jacob and Esau. Right? Jacob uh, tricked their father into giving him the place of the firstborn in the, in the inheritance, and he had to flee for his life because he was afraid Esau would kill him. That was what a big deal inheritance was to the people reading this letter. Uh, now, think of why was Esau the one in line to receive the inheritance? Right? It wasn't because he was more righteous than Jacob. Um, in fact, ultimately, the opposite proved true. It wasn't anything to do with how worthy he was. It was simply because of his status as the firstborn. Okay, and that is a very important thing to remember as we work through this. Being in line to receive the inheritance is because you are the firstborn. Uh, It has nothing to do with what you have done. Um, So let's look at how Scripture talks about inheritance from a spiritual perspective. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 describes Christ 
as the firstborn of all creation. And Colossians 1.15 describes Christ as the heir of all things. So the true spiritual heir in this world is Jesus Christ. Uh, now, obviously, when it describes him as the firstborn of creation, it does not mean that he was a created being, right? It is uh, talking about his preeminence over all of creation, over all things. Uh, so Jesus Christ is in a position of authority uh, over all of creation. He is above all of creation, and he is the heir of God the Father. Okay, so that makes sense, right, that Jesus would be the heir of all things. So why are, why are we heirs? Why does it say that we have an inheritance? Uh, we were not born as children of God. Uh, we were not born as heirs. We were born as enemies of God. In fact, uh, further on in the Ephesians, Paul says that we are children of wrath, right? Children of the devils. Nothing could be further from being an heir. Uh, imagine two kingdoms at war with each other, and uh, the king of the first kingdom says that he has decided to appoint as his heir the prince of the opposing nation. That would be absolutely absurd, right? That, that is, I, I haven't been to you know, military strategy school, but I don't think that they teach that uh, for how to conquer an opposing nation. And yet that absurd thing is what God has done in us, right? As his enemies, he has appointed us as heirs, Remember what Paul said earlier, we have been adopted by God. So despite who we are on our own, despite the direction that we were headed uh, through Christ, God has made us his own children. That's how this inheritance has been made possible. Because now we are children of God along with Christ. God looks at us as he looks at Christ, his son. He sees us as his own heirs. Beloved, do we, do we fathom how incredible this is? Heirs of God, princes with Christ because of the gospel. Uh, we are heirs because God chose to adopt us. And the point is this. This is all of grace. The inheritance that we have is not because of works right? Because being a firstborn is not something you earn, it's something that you exist as. Our inheritance, our eternal life is something that has been given to us because of who we are in Christ. And so I ask you this morning, do you, do you truly recognize that you have contributed nothing to your salvation? What you have in Christ, what has been given to you is not because of what you have done. It's not because of what you deserve. It's because of your identity in Christ. Uh, he is such a loving Father. Uh, there, is, there is enough grace in God through Jesus Christ to save the most despicable, wicked sinner. Amen? Otherwise, none of us would be here. Uh, this word uh, for obtained an inheritance, uh, it's one word in the Greek, and it means to get something by casting lots. Uh, which is another way of saying rolling dice, right? Is there any skill involved in rolling dice? You, you, you roll them and the numbers will be what they will be. Uh, you shake them in your hand, you roll them across the table, and you simply find out what chance determined your numbers would be. Uh, so what, what is Paul saying here when he uses this word to describe what we have obtained? 
Uh, I can emphatically tell you he is not saying that anything in our salvation was left up to chance or was uh, unknown to God or somehow insecure. Uh, I think Paul's point is that from our perspective, there is no way of saying why one person accepts Christ and another rejects him. Often those who seem to us to be the most primed to accept Christ We think, man, that person would make the best Christian if they were just a Christian. Those are often the ones who walk away from Christ. And yet, sometimes the most despicable, wicked, hardened sinners are the ones who fall madly in love with Jesus. And why is this? It's because we don't contribute anything. It's because it's not determined by who is smartest or who is the most moral or who seems like the best candidate for the Christian life. It is determined by God's infinite wisdom and his infinite grace in choosing wicked sinners who don't deserve it to be lavished upon by his grace and saved in Christ. Uh, Knowing this, it, it should make us humble and it should make us dependent. Because we know that we are not in Christ because we are better than anybody else or more equipped to choose Christ than somebody else. And it should make us dependent because we know that apart from God's grace, we would never be here. Right? What is so much of Galatians about? How would you start out by grace and continue on your own? We should live as humble, dependent Christians knowing that we contributed nothing to becoming a Christian. As R.C. Sproul has famously said, the only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And why does Paul uh, say uh, all of this happened? Again, to the praise of his glory. Uh, God did this so that we who were the first to put hope in Christ, okay, so that's believers, would exist to show off his glory. Oh, this is the second time that we have seen this phrase connected to a purpose statement of why God saved us. Uh, remember, God is in the business of showing off how great his attributes are. And for God to do this is not arrogant like it would be if we did something like that. For God to do this is right because God is the only one in the universe who actually deserves praise. So if you are in Christ this morning, You were predestined to adoption before the foundation of the world, which God accomplished by redeeming you through the blood of Christ and forgiving you of all of your sin. And now, as an adopted son or daughter, you have been given an inheritance as a fellow heir with Christ. And all of this has ultimately been done so that God would be glorified, which is why Paul writes this entire beautiful run-on sentence as a giant praise and exaltation of God. So, we have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have been given revelation, we have been made heirs, and finally, we have been sealed. The last thing that Paul says about our salvation that should cause us to praise God is that we have been sealed. Uh, and what does, what does sealing do? Uh, in the ancient world, when a king sent a letter, uh, after the envelope was closed, they would drip hot wax on the the closure of the envelope, and the king would press his ring into the seal to show that it was from him. And then when the recipient received the letter and the seal was unbroken, whoever received the letter would know that it was authentic. They would know no one had tampered with it. 
In the same way, God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit to show that we belong to him and to guarantee that we will reach the destination he intended for us, which is to be with him. One commentator says, when God gives us his Holy Spirit, it is as if he stamps us with a seal that reads, this person belongs to me and is an authentic citizen of my divine kingdom and, and a member of my divine family. And when did this happen? Paul says this happened when you heard the word of truth, which is the good news of salvation, and believed in Christ. So if you are here this morning and you know nothing of this, you know that nothing that we've been talking about is special to you, that it's not anything that you care about. Uh, if it all sounds wonderful, but not like anything that you have ever experienced, let me plead with you to come to Christ now. See how glorious this salvation is and cry out to him for mercy. Paul says that all of this has been made ours not because of works or intelligence or worth, but has been made ours by believing in Christ. And that is a door that is open to all wicked, wretched sinners. The beautiful simplicity of the gospel message is that Christ has done all of the necessary work to save sinners, and that work is credited to us simply by putting our faith in him. I plead with you not to look at this marvelous salvation and then turn away. And finally, Paul says that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. What does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit living within us is God's down payment towards his redemptive work that will culminate in us living with him and seeing him face to face. Uh, often, when you're purchasing a large asset, you put down a deposit and you come back later to finish the transaction that you're purchasing. It's not enough just to say, I want that. Trust me, I'm going to come back later and buy it, so don't give it to anybody else. Uh, instead, we put down a deposit as a pledge to show that we are serious in coming back to finish this transaction, right? We put down a deposit to say, I do truly want this, and so I'm willing to put forward this collateral to show I'm not joking. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take what is mine. God has promised that our redemption will culminate in us living with him forever. And in order to prove that he plans on keeping his word, he has put his own spirit within us. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. God will not leave us as a half-finished work. And he has given his Holy Spirit to guarantee that fact. If you are in Christ and you are discouraged this morning, discouraged by your circumstances, discouraged by your sin, let this sink in. Our promised inheritance, our eternal life, our sanctification, our glorification, God gave us the Holy Spirit as the down payment until God brings all of those things to completion. And Paul ends with this now familiar refrain, to the praise of his glory. Uh, do you think that Paul is trying to make a point about God's purpose in all of this? Friends, we, we are a little less important than we like to think that we are. 
God chose you for his glory. He adopted you for his glory. He redeemed you for his glory. He gave you revelation for his glory. He made you an heir for his glory, and he sealed you with his spirit for his glory. And that is Paul's desire in all of this, that God would receive glory. So let me ask you, do you understand your salvation maybe a little better now than you did before? I hope so. But does that make you want to praise God more? If you have a stronger desire, if you do not have a stronger desire to praise God now than you did before, having a greater understanding of your salvation is not accomplishing in your heart what it should be. It's not accomplishing in your heart what Paul designed it to in this passage. Is your heart captivated by the grace of God? Think about what it means to be captivated. When you wake up in the morning and you have that thought that gives you energy to make it through your day, is that thought the grace of God? Is that thought that you are a purchased sinner, privileged to live for his glory, and so you are able to withstand anything that happens that day because you are able to give God glory? If you know Christ, I want you to walk away from this with your heart singing. I hope you walk away from this so full of joy and so encouraged that you cannot contain it because we have so much to be thankful for and so much to praise God for in these verses. And if you do not know Christ this morning, I am so glad that you are here. And I want you to walk away rightly recognizing that God's amazing grace is available to you. This amazing grace that causes Paul to bless God in the way that he does is available to any sinner that would take hold of it. So, bless God. Why? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And in what way has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing? By choosing us. And in choosing us, he predestined us to be adopted into his family. And he did so in order to magnify the glory of his grace. And what does it mean that he adopted us? It means that he redeemed us from our sin. How? By lavishing his grace upon us, by revealing his plan of redemption to us, in sending his son to become our substitute and save us from the penalty of sin. And after we were redeemed, he gave us an inheritance appointing us as heirs and sealing us with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he would carry us to completion. And all of this for his own glory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your plan of redemption is so infinitely magnificent that it is beyond our understanding. Help our small and finite minds to grasp how incredible your grace is towards us in Jesus Christ, that we may worship you and praise you as you deserve, as the only right response to what you have done to make us your own possession. Thank you for your grace to us in Christ. Thank you for your spirit who lives within us and has sealed us until that day. 
Thank you that in eternity past, you did not choose to show your glory by sending every sinner to hell as we deserved, but to graciously save those who are least deserving. In Christ's blessed name, amen.